Listen, we're going to do a little bit of a different kind of announcement time right now. We're going to use some time to just pray a little bit. And um, some of you know, but we just got back from Mexico yesterday. We crossed the border at uh, about 9 o'clock in the morning and drove for a really, really long time. And uh, now we're here. So um, if I'm a little groggy this morning, that might be why. Let me read you uh, some words of Jesus. Jesus says this, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. Whoever believes in me, as the Scripture has said, streams of living water will flow from within him, the believer. And then it goes on to clarify, John says this, By this he meant the Spirit, whom those who believed in him were later to receive. And I want to just tell you that um, the Spirit of the living God is alive and well down south of the border in Mexico today. And um, many of you have traveled different places this summer, and you can attest to this same God that we're worshiping here this morning, the same one that we're going to cry out to and pray to in just a moment, is at work around the nations. And I love Psalms that talk about, I'll praise your name among the nations. And uh, we had an opportunity this week, there were 19 of us, nine uh, of the people on the team, nine of the 19 do not own driver's license. So you can imagine the fun and energy level that accompanies a trip like that. Um, We had no trips to the ER or hospital. So can we just give God praise for that? And let it be noted that Travis Jones did not come on the trip. That's all I'm saying. Um, We did have uh, bee stings to the head, some bumps and bruises. Uh, Check out Carl's knee if you get a chance. Um, But we we suffered for the Lord in, in those kinds of ways. Um, just after the service ends, we're going to hopefully have a slideshow that you're going to get to see, just some of the pictures. So if you want to stick around for that, um, go grab your kids, bring them back. Uh, those of you who've been before, you'll see some familiar faces, which is really exciting. Um, just to give you a real quick snapshot of the trip, we went down there. George and Stacy Palau, who are the main missionaries that started Grace Children's Home uh, five or six years ago now, are on a two-week vacation. And as you can imagine, caring for uh, 30-some children uh, it's a much-needed one, so just continue to be in prayer for them. They're off uh, having a little bit of family time to themselves. And so Juan Sutton and uh, his wife Alicia were kind of in charge. And they're the ones who are heading up the baby home that's happening down there. And you're going to see a couple of pictures of the baby home um, continuing to be built up. The vision for that is to house eventually about 20 babies that will come in, and they'll just be able to uh, nurse them and love them and bathe them and feed them and all that goes on with a baby times 20. So you can imagine kind of the, um, the patience level times 20 and, uh, and all of that that will, that will need to go on with that. But it was so cool to get to walk through. You'll see in the slideshow some words, just scripture written on the walls of the home before the installation is going to go in. Just with um, prayers of blessing and just imagining what God's going to do inside of that home Come the end of the year, that's when they're hoping to have it completed. Um, Please talk to people who went on the trip. Many of our people that went on the trip are continuing trips elsewhere, so they're not here. But in the days and weeks to come, we love to share and just tell the stories of what God's doing down there and the relationships that we got to to further or make for the first time. Uh, Just some of the the tangible and practical, everyday ways that we got to trust in God. Um, When you change your location, you go from being in a really familiar setting... You just All you do is change your location by about eight hours and one whole language, and all of a sudden, there's a world of opportunity to trust in God um, just really on a day-to-day basis. So um, 
That said, uh, I mentioned to you last week in our message about Amanda. Amanda and her mom, uh, Maria, were going to go with us to Mexico, and um, the Lord changed those plans. We make our plans, but we always entrust ourselves to God's plans. His plans are better than ours, and he has things going on that we can't possibly see. I mentioned last week she went into the hospital. They found a tumor. Uh, it was, in fact, um, lymphoma cancer, uh, stage one, and she had her first round of chemo on Tuesday. I talked to her last night. Um, She's in just amazingly good spirits. She loves the Lord. She trusts in the Lord. And we're just praying for a full recovery from her. Uh, and uh, we would have loved to have had Maria and Amanda down there, but the Lord knows what he's doing. So we're just going to continue to entrust, um, entrust her to the Lord. And there's just been some loss um, in this building here this week, too, that I just have been made aware about even just in the last couple of hours. Um, so we're just going to go to the Lord right now and um, cry out to him. We're going to sing a song in just a second before we dismiss kids um, called On Christ the Solid Rock I Stand. And we're talking about persevering today. And um, it's just a fitting way to kind of set up what we're talking about and the scriptures we're going to look at um, and, and the reminder to cling to the solid rock of Christ. So let's pray. Father, we thank you that this morning, um, Lord, all around America and really all around the world, um, there are people doing exactly what we're doing. There are people who have come to you because they recognized their thirst, God, and they have come to believe in the message and work of you, Jesus, on the cross. And because of that, our lives have been changed. Because of that, we've been given the promised down payment of the Holy Spirit. And because of that, God, our hearts long to praise you. God, it's a joy to come to your house and worship with your people this morning. And Father, we're mindful that in many other languages and in many other settings and in many other temperatures, God, and with many other fields, there are people just praising the living God this morning. God, we're humbled and joyful to be a part of this church that you have called to yourself, that you've redeemed, that you love, that you're purifying God and we recognize as we talked last week about suffering that part of your purifying work in us Lord is your discipline part of your purifying work in us God is thorns that appear in our flesh and cause us to be as desperate as we just sang about thirsting for you crying out with our heart and our soul and our mind come Lord Jesus come and Father, right now, I pray um, just for the Burge family and um, ask that you administer to them in their loss and um, ask, Lord, that you would be seen to be who you are as the God of all comfort. And Lord, for Marshall this morning, um, God, our heart goes out to, um, to the loss that he's experienced this week. And we cry out to you, Father, that you would um, show yourself to be faithful. Allow us as church family and as his physical family co comes around him, Lord, to, to be a support to that family and all that's going to go on in the days ahead. Father, we do pray for Amanda with um, not only cancer, but an irregular heartbeat and just other things going on. Father, thank you for the way she was able to minister to me last night on the phone 
as I just heard in her voice, a joy and a confidence that you are the rock that she's built her life on. And God, for Julio and um, Maria, who have heard the word cancer, and like all of us, it's caused fear to come into their life. I pray, Lord, that you would allow them to have a peace that goes beyond human understanding and that they would know in the depths of their soul, Lord, that they can trust you, that you're a God that loves us, is trustworthy, and is sovereign. Father, right now, would you stir in us in a deep place, God? Maybe we came expecting to worship at one level. Would you cause a hunger in us this morning? Spirit, we just invite you to have free reign to break the hard ground of our heart that comes thinking we know what we're going to get at church this morning and you may have something totally different in mind. God, we come to honor your name and I pray that that would be the case externally and internally right now as we worship in a few moments as we open up your word as we align our lives to what you would have for us, God. And all God's people said, Amen. Well, we have the, uh, the summer faithful here this week. Uh, you are the ones who evidently didn't plan vacation this particular week, where everyone else did. So, welcome. Glad you're here. Um, I'm leaving as soon as service is done to go off into the woods a little bit and uh, join with creation in uh, glorifying God. I want to invite you to open up your Bibles to 2 Corinthians. We're going to start there and um, jump around a little bit this morning. I hope this week, um, I don't really necessarily hope this week that you're suffering, um, but if you are suffering, I hope you're suffering well. We talked about hardship and suffering and what it means to suffer patiently. And um, and as is always the case, really, we, we get to see some scripture verses and then they just come to life as we go through our day and go through our week. And um, as, as different people, uh, I got some phone calls last night and just went through some messages and found some things out. And um, it just reminded me, you know, that as people are suffering, as people are going through hardship, um, there's a way to do it well and there's a way to do it poorly. There's a way to miss the pain that's coming into our life. And, uh, and not really examine it, not look at it, not use it for God's glory. Um, we looked last week a little bit at the idea that uh, really suffering um, on many levels proves sonship. There's a, there's a certain fellowship of suffering that, that goes on. We talked about humiliation and suffering that can go on that has nothing to do with the Lord, um, like at Starbucks. Um, but there's also ways to suffer well, and there's ways to suffer for the name of Christ. And when you're doing that, you know that you're joining in this in the, this fellowship. It also provides firsthand experience of the comfort of God. Some of you in this room, if I mention the comfort of comfort of God, you're immediately taken back to some dark nights of the soul where you say, God is a God of all comfort. And I know that firsthand experience. And you've been able to take that, and as 1 Corinthians says, you're able to pass that on to other people. You're able to comfort other people with the same comfort that you've received directly from God. And that's part of what's going on in our suffering. And that really leads us to, to this week's idea. We're really wrapping up this demanding series here in a couple of weeks now. Um, but this whole idea of persevering till the end. Let me kind of tell you the, the commands in Scripture that I'm trying to wrap in here. Jesus saying words like this, Remain in me. 
He says, abide in me, but don't just dwell in me like you're camping for a little bit. Abide, dwell, live, remain in me. If you want kind of an Old Testament picture of it, it's return to me. That's God the Father going after the the wayward nation of Israel, saying, stay faithful to me. Be a faithful bride. And instead of till death do us part, and with the Lord, really, as we're the bride of Christ, it's, it's till death brings us together, kind of finally, right? But this whole idea of Scripture over and over is just persevere, remain till the end. All through the New Testament, then, we're commanded, hold on until this day of the Lord, this day that's coming, this day that we just sang about. Look forward to it and persevere until the end. Um, some of you have older siblings, which you've learned uh, many things from. And uh, really, in the Scriptures, it's so powerful to, to think about these people in the Bible as our older siblings that we get to glean from and learn from. Many of you know the story of Stephen and Peter and John and some of the ways that they were able to uh, persevere till the end and really strive. I have you opened uh, to 2 Corinthians chapter 11 right now. It's someone's birthday, I think. Second uh, Corinthians 11. Can someone find a door to close? Thank you, Rich. <laughs> Thank you. Second um, Corinthians chapter 11, starting in verse 23. Um, this is Paul writing, in essence, to prove his authority, because he was being questioned and challenged. Like, who are you, Paul, that we should listen to you? And Paul basically could have blown them out of the water, but he kept it, he kind of kept the guns in the holster for a while. And he kind of gets to this point where he can stand it no more. So he busts out his little list here. Second uh, Corinthians 11, starting in verse 23, it says this. It says, are they servants of Christ? And then he says this in parentheses. I'm out of my mind to talk like this. So he's just, he's kind of saying, look, it's crazy that I should even have to do this. And it feels really weird to have to do this. But let me just rattle through some things. I am more. I'm more of a servant of Christ. Weird thing to boast about, huh? I have worked much harder, been in prison more frequently, been flogged more severely, and been exposed to death again and again. Five times. Don't let that escape you. Five times this happened. I received from the Jews 40 lashes minus one. The thought being that 40 would kill a man, so let's bring him right up to the point of death and leave him for dead. I don't think many of us in this room, if any, have been left for dead one time. Five times. This is Paul. He goes on. Three times I was beaten with rods. Once I was stoned. Three times I was shipwrecked. I spent a night and a day in the open sea. I've been constantly on the move. I've been in danger from rivers, in danger from bandits, in danger from my own countrymen, in danger from Gentiles, in danger in the city, in danger in the country, in danger at sea and in danger from false brothers. I could go on. He's given up sleep. He's given up comfort. He's given up a lot of the things. And he's pointing out these things because of this. Skip over to chapter 12, verse 10. That is why, for Christ's sake, I delight in weaknesses, in insults, in hardships, in persecutions, in difficulties. For when I am weak, then... I am strong. Paul's boasting in these sufferings and in these hardships, and he's using it in essence as proof that he's the real deal. 
This same Paul went on to wrote in, write in Romans 8, For I consider the sufferings of this present time are not worthy to be compared with the glory that is to be revealed to us. That's what we just sang about. And if you think these sufferings means kind of a little piddly thing, that's what he's talking about. These sufferings. And they're not worthy to be compared with this glory that's going to be revealed to us. James reminds us in chapter 1, Consider it pure joy, my brothers, whenever you face trials of many kinds. That was a pretty good list Paul had going. Because you know that the testing of your faith, faith develops what? Perseverance. There's our word. So if I could sum up this whole thing, it's this word perseverance. Here's kind of my central truth. And there's not, this is the only slide you get today, okay? So get used to it. Um, and your handout, do you have a piece of paper in there at least? All right, you got a measly piece of paper. That's it. That's what you get when Dave's in Mexico for the week. Here's, if you don't write anything else down, write this down. Here's the central truth I want you to walk away with and know today. Here it is. All children of God will hold on and press on. All children of God will hold on and press on. Okay? Here's kind of the picture that I want to paint for you. This has been sort of our series image that, that we grabbed and said that, that to follow Jesus Christ really is demanding. It's a, it's a challenging call. It's a challenging call. In fact, it's an impossible call, is it not? Come and die. Come and be perfect. Come and be born again. You can't do any of that. You can, by faith, receive those things. And then you can put your, your, your face, set it like flint like Jesus did, and you just follow the Master, no matter where He leads you. And it's so demanding that it requires you to be on your knees. It requires you to cry out, Come, Lord Jesus, come, or else I'm dead. And so it's a, it's a demanding life. And this isn't for missionaries that sell everything in the States and go start orphanages. This isn't for people who are going to go get trained in full-time ministry. This isn't for those who are, who are going to go to a foreign country and get beaten with rods. This is the normal, everyday Christian life. And there are many, many in our city, many in our country, that sit in church and wear it like religion. And they just wear it like a once-a-week garment to kind of get dressed up in. And that's all it is. It's nothing. It's not life. It's not salvation. It's, it's, it's just nothing. It's just really a little piece of clothing that you kind of kind of put on. But the picture that I want to show you is this. Imagine that you're this person in the red shirt rock climbing here for a moment. If you could see it on the front of your bulletin covers, what you can see is that his fingertips are kind of white knuckled because he's hanging on. He's hanging on to this rock face, right? And as I started to title this message, I thought I'm going to call this hang on. But hang on gives this image of like, you're just supposed to hang there and stay there. Just hang on. Some people go through the Christian life that way. How are you doing? Well, I'm surviving. Oh, okay, good. That's the same as last week and the month before and last year. And, and what you're doing is you're just hanging on. And you just want to kind of nudge them like, you ever going to finish the race? Like, you ever going to keep going? And so it's really, it's both. It's hold on. Some of you are in a season right now where all you can do is hold on. If gale force winds come along right here, he's not trying to find the next sweet, you know, cleft in the rock to kind of grab and keep moving up. He's just going to hang on right then. When storms in life come, you just hold on. Don't chuck your faith. Don't get mad at God. Don't throw it back in His face and start to question Him. You hold on. But Christians, we're supposed to press on. We're in a race here. We have a mission here. So the idea is, keep climbing. 
Keep going up the mountain face. Now, what I love about this picture is this little person out of focus behind them. And they're on belay with them. And this is a really, this is like a little cheap toy here. I didn't really grab a real one, but this is called a carabiner. And what's great about this image that you have on the front of your bulletin is it's a reminder that as you're climbing up the rock face, you have a harness on and you're clipped in and you're secure to the solid rock of Christ that we just sang about. Our salvation is on Christ, the solid rock. By grace alone, through faith alone, in Christ alone. That's it. Now, what God doesn't want us to do, though, is just kind of dangle there. Woohoo! I'm a Christian. Hey, what's up? More cheeseburgers. You know, that's not what we're supposed to do. All through the scriptures, we're told that, that God, it's all God's work. We're going to see this this morning. It's God's work, so keep pressing on. You have all you need for life and godliness, so make every effort to add to your faith this and this and this. And so our part in this is to rest secure and not think that we're getting to the top on our own power. Not, woohoo, look at me, but to keep on holding on and keep on pressing on. That's kind of the big picture. Now, let me ask you this. What comes to mind when I say the word perseverance? Like, just don't answer me, but just kind of think about the word perseverance for a second. I'm not positive, but I would guess that most people in this room have a positive connotation to the word perseverance. That when you think of the word perseverance, you think of these kinds of things. We like to think of an athlete who wins a prize, a dieter who loses the weight and gains energy, a single mom who witnesses her only son graduating college, the patient who overcomes cancer. They persevered. The word means this, steady and continued action or belief, usually over a long period and especially despite difficulties and setbacks. Isn't it true that there are negative connotations to perseverance, though? Usually we like to think of the positive ones. Those are the fun ones to think about. You don't see, you know, this is kind of mimicking those posters that say challenge, you know, and you put it up in an office or something. Uh, You don't see many that say, you know, perseverance, and then it talks about the negative side of things. But consider this. The negative side of perseverance is this. The husband whose family has had enough because he has persevered in a life of neglect and running after sin. The pilfering company man who loses his job because he's had this pattern of deceit, this pattern of stealing from the company. The child liar who grows into an adult and can no longer hold up the image and decides to end his or her life because his entire life he has persevered in lying and deceit. So perseverance can be positive. Perseverance can be negative. I want you to flip over now to Romans chapter 2. And we may be going in a different direction than you think. I think if I had heard this title, I'd been like, wow, this is going to be really uplifting and encouraging. And it might be that way for you this morning. But I have a hunch that it might be uncomfortable in a way as well. Because of this negative side of perseverance. What I'm not going to give you this morning are tips to get through, but, but rather basic principles from the Bible that will just, that will just get our, our thinking, I hope, clear and right on some things. Let me read from you Romans chapter 2, starting in verse 5. And it says this. Talking about God's righteous judgment. But because of your stubbornness and your unrepentant heart, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. 
when His righteous judgment will be revealed. God will give to each person according to what He has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, He will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and follow evil, there will be wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. But glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. For God does not show favoritism. Now this ought to raise at least several questions for you as a truth seeker here this morning. If you have some Bible background, and many of you in this room do, it raises certain kinds of questions. And I hear some of the uh, looks on your faces are making sound to me like, but wait, but wait, but wait. Because it starts to sound like we're going towards maybe a works theology. You're thinking this, what about the idea that God, uh, that, that love and God is love, keeping no record of wrongs? Good question. What about Mr. Paul, who was, you know, again, Mr. Uh, saved by grace through faith alone and Jesus Christ alone? Is he contradicting himself here by kind of introducing or, or teaching a works theology? That what we're done is what's judged and will be rewarded or punished accordingly. What I want to do is walk you through this passage a little bit, and um, and you have to kind of read all of the Bible this way, but you need to really read Romans in context, right? And take a look at, at what it's saying. Uh, and, and while we're not going to have time to kind of unpack all of this, I want to throw some ideas at you, and I want you to grapple with them and, and, uh, and chew on them a little bit. If you're taking notes, you could write two things down. First is this, perseverance always pays. Perseverance pays. Again, I think that's a positive connotation thing. Like I heard one of the kids I was with, we were, we were leveling a soccer field this week. Um, the first day, um, I decided to twist my ankle uh, as bad as I've done in 10 years. And uh, so it ballooned up and got black and blue on both sides and all that. Because there's nothing more fun than walking on uh, loose gravel, angly dirt, uh, in Mexico for a week on a really bad sprained ankle. So I thought, why not do it Monday, right, when it's just most conducive? Well, I did that because there's a giant rock sitting in the middle of the soccer field, and I stepped on the high point of it and rolled it. So we're there leveling this field, and <laughs> it's it's not really that hot, but we're sitting there, you know, kids with, with man shovels means dirt in Dave's hair. So we're sitting there, you know, dirt's flying all over, and we're trying to pack it up, and you know, it's just this crazy deal. So we're sitting there, and I hear this kid under his breath. It was so cute. This little kid, Isaac, and he's down there, and he goes, never give up. He just kind of said it to himself. He didn't really say it to anyone in particular. And I was standing there, and I thought, oh, what a cool little healthy picture this is. This kid's down here in Mexico, and he's, he's been given a family by God. And just under his breath, he's just saying what's been poured into him. Never give up. And I love that. And I thought, man, here he's coming across a hard thing. It got really exciting for about, you know, 30 seconds. And then like any nine-year-old, he wanted to give up. And he just sat there. And, he, and I, I looked at him. I said, that's right, Isaac. We shouldn't give up, huh? We should keep going. He goes, yeah. And so we just kind of, we just kind of encouraged each other with that. Perseverance pays. That's just as, that's an encouraging thing. But this passage reminds us that perseverance always pays. Look at verse 5. You are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. Payment will come. It's a really sobering thought. 
not only for us, but for every single person in our family and that we care about, for our next-door neighbors, that day after day after day are storing up wrath by their lifestyle, by their actions. The day of God's wrath is a real day. It points to the scene that's described in in Revelation 20. It's the great white throne. And it's a day of judgment and destruction, according to 2 Peter 3.7, which we'll read in a little bit. It's a day of dealing out retribution, according to 2 Thessalonians 1.7-8. And Jesus spoke of the day as one where some will be cast into the furnace and some will shine forth as the sun in Matthew 13. That ought to be really, really sobering to every single one of us in here. And I hope an ongoing prayer of yours is to say, God, I don't want to be there on Judgment Day and have you look at me and say, I never knew you. You did a bunch of stuff, but it's junk. It's just religious junk. I don't even know who you are. That ought to wake you up once in a while. When you read about the destruction, I'll tell you where most of our minds go because we're stubborn and unrepentant as a people. Not me. I'm in. I'm good. Can I challenge you this morning? If you've already gone there, said that's for other people who aren't in church this morning. Look, I got up at 9 to be here at 10.30. I'm sacrificing. If you've already gone there and said that's not me, can you just allow the Holy Spirit to, to just soften your heart and say, Lord, would you, would you pick at me this morning? Would you just, I'm just open before you. Would you reveal to me if I'm the one that it's talking about? If I'm the one where the seed was cast, but, but something else has, has snatched it away, or it's gotten in some rocky soil. God, I want to be found faithful in you. I want that to be an ongoing prayer for us as a church. The idea that perseverance always pays is that it's a sure thing. It's something we can count on happening. God has made it crystal clear in Scripture that this day of judgment is coming. The second thing I would want you to write down is this, that perseverance always pays well. Perseverance always pays well. Well doesn't mean good necessarily. It means a lot. Verse 5, you are storing up wrath against yourself for the day of God's wrath. King James Version says that you're treasuring up for yourself. Again, we think of treasuring up as a positive thing, do we not? But Matthew Henry, in a commentary, says this, a treasure denotes abundance. It is a treasure that... We will, that, that will be spending to eternity and yet never exhausted, and yet sinners are still adding to it as to a treasure. Every willful sin adds to the score and will inflame the reckoning. Look at who's doing up this storing, this amassing. It's you and it's me. And the Bible says, says we're going to be judged by these things on this coming great day of judgment. Don't turn there, but just write it down if you want. 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 7 says this. By His Word. We love to claim His Word when it's uh, by His Word, He's going to be a comfort to you. He's going to be faithful to you. He's going to be gracious to you. He's going he's to not ignore a withered reed. We love those by His words. But also by His Word, that same Word, the same God, the present heavens and earth are being reserved for fire, kept for the day of judgment, catch this, and the destruction of ungodly men. That's men and women. Verse 8 says this, but do not let this one fact escape your notice, beloved, that with the Lord one day is like a thousand years and a thousand years like one day. 
The Lord is not slow about His promise, as some count slowness, but is patient toward you, not wishing for any to perish, but for all to come to repentance. Peter's writing here about this this coming day of the Lord. And he goes on and he says, here's some application for it. Here's some application for us. What's the proper response? What's the right thinking that will lead to right action for us as an individual, as a family, as a church body? Verse 11 says this, Since everything will be destroyed in this way, what kind of people ought you to be? There's the penetrating question. Since it's all going to burn, what kind of people ought we to be? Should we value our car more than our kids? Should we value our precious little real estate as somehow more important than the people that are destined to shine forth like the sun or be burned at the day of judgment? Should we be more concerned with accumulating more stuff, caring for more stuff, and ensuring the stuff we already have? Or should we be realizing it's all going to burn? And to really take stock of what we're investing our time, our resources, our life in. That's the penetrating question, right? What sort of people ought we to be? John Murray says this, What or whom we worship determines our behavior. You want to know what you worship? Look at your behavior. It's kind of a cliche to say from the pulpit, but I'm going to say it anyways. Look at your... It used to be Daytimer. Now it's iPhone, BlackBerry. Some of you are still working the hand system. Got to step it up. There's some good tools out there. Check your calendar. Just see, just see where it is. It's not bad to run your kids all over town to different things. But you know what? There's a, there's a different priority that can be inserted. I love what some families in this church are doing to just instill things in their week, things in their normal routine of family life that says we serve and honor God with all that we are. We're not going to insert Him on Sunday mornings and at midweek community group. He's going to be our all in all. What sort of people ought we to be? Here He answers it. You ought to live holy and godly lives as you look forward to the day of God and speed its coming. Verse 14. Make every effort to be found spotless, blameless, and at peace with Him. And verse 15 says, and regard the patience of our Lord as salvation. Now, we're going to get to this in a moment, but I started this series quite intentionally, and I keep coming back back to it. All the rest of the demands of Scripture are utterly and absolutely meaningless if you're not born again. If you're not born again, then what it turns into is the very thing Jesus railed against the most, and that is heaping and trying to keep the law. And people, people try to do that. Christians try to do that. And they attach Christian verses to it. It's all meaningless if we're not born again. But think about this. People right now, you right now, by your actions, are storing up, are treasuring up, are investing in a coming kingdom. And so don't let me do this. Let the Word of God and the Holy Spirit do this to you. What's bubbling up from your actions? I mean, just if you were to look at your own life and invite the Holy Spirit to give you free reign, what's bubbling up in your life to say, what kingdom am I storing up for, Lord? What am I persevering in? What am I running hard 
after. Jerry Bridges, in Pursuit of Holiness, says our concept of God and our relationship with Him determine our conduct. If He's a genie, our behavior will act like we believe Him to be a genie and our relationship to Him to be a genie. If we believe He's alive, and if we believe that His Word means something, even the parts that sound really scary... Like every human being standing before judgment throne, then our lives and our actions will bear that out. Paul goes on uh, in Romans, back into Romans now, chapter 2, and uh, he's basically answering what, what the basis of payment is. And he kind of draws this clear line between two groups of people. Those who are saved from destruction and those who are unsaved. Those who are saved from destruction and those who are unsaved. Look at verse 6. God will give to each person according to what he has done. To those who by persistence in doing good seek glory, honor, and immortality, he will give eternal life. But for those who are self-seeking and who reject the truth and who follow evil... There will be wrath and anger. Not those who know the way, those who can explain the gospel, those who can point the right direction, but those who are following. Reject truth. They, they see it. They can believe certain truths, but they're rejecting it. Following evil, there's wrath and anger. There will be trouble and distress for every human being who does evil, first for the Jew, then for the Gentile, but glory, honor, and peace for everyone who does good first for the Jew, then for the Gentile. We live in this age, and this isn't new to us. We don't get to claim a market on this, but we live in an age right now where uh, there's some real uh, confusion going on. There are weeds and wheat that are growing up side by side. Often in the very same household are those who've been instructed in the ways of God from the time they were little kids, and some that reject the truth and follow evil, and those who embrace the truth and run toward God. And what's fascinating is you could have all of them at church on Sunday, week after week after week after week. Externally, you could see some similar things. They could go to the same youth camp. They could go to the same Mexico missions trip. On the trip, those who are destined for destruction could even be in the flesh more patient, kinder. You might even see some externals that you just go, I don't even know how to tell which one's really which. Perseverance, though. I think back to, I've got a couple in here that have been with me in junior high ministry for years and years and years. And they're in the same city that, 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 that we're in, where we all minister. Perseverance begins to make the line really, really clear. You see, some are still running after Jesus. They still have their same quirks like we do, but God's working on them. But they're still running hard after Jesus. And many, many who went on those trips who said the right things in our community group, in our homes, who sat under biblical teaching, who were given every opportunity in the world, who made professions of faith at camp, at retreats, at youth group, in their homes, and they've fallen away. Their actions have determined, really, the fruit of what's gone on in their life. The response for you and I this morning is this. The first is to make sure that you're saved from this day of destruction. 
And not just to keep leaning back on, well, I believe, I believe, I believe. And we could point you to places in James that say the demons believe. They know the truth. But it doesn't mean that they're converted sinners. Here's the only way to ensure perseverance. Here's the, here's the only principle. Here's the only tip that I know to give you. And after I give you this tip, there really is no self-help way to kind of give you ten things to memorize and then you'll persevere. It's just really, really simple. It's a basic principle of Scripture. Here it is. Ready? Have a regenerate heart. Go from being dead to being alive. I don't want to be crass or rude or gross, but if you take a stillborn baby, you don't sit there and prop it up, you don't encourage it with certain things, you don't cheer it on, you don't feed it, you don't nurture it in Bible study groups for years and years and wonder why there's no life. They're dead. And sometimes churches can get really skewed because we're running around chasing after unconverted people. And they're spiritually dead. They want all the good stuff of the Bible, but they've never repented of their sins. They've never had the breath of life given to them by God. They're not born again. They're dead in their sins. And if that's you, let me tell you, that's why it hasn't worked to get the joy of the Lord, even though you've attended services, you've come and tried on Christ, you've gone through some different studies and done every lesson, and it still hasn't worked for you. All I know is this. Once I was made alive in Christ, my parents no longer had to twist my arm or coax me into going to church. You know what I wanted to do? My spirit wanted to be with God's people. I wanted to sit under someone who had the book open and was teaching me because I was hungry for it. Someone didn't have to come along and, and coax me and give me candy and kind of tease me into reading the Bible. You know what happened? It was, it was awakened in me that I said, I just want to read this. I love this book. I want to run hard after it. So first and foremost, make sure you're saved. Once you make sure you're saved, I go back to my central truth. God's children, all of God's children, catch this, will hold on. And they will press on. And they will finish the race. Let me read some scriptures for you. Colossians 3.10 Put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge in the image of its creator. That's what pressing on is all about. You put on the Lord Jesus Christ by faith. And then you begin to walk in that new person. It's a very simple thing. But it's demanding, is it not? Day after day after day to remain faithful. And say, Lord, I'm learning new things every day that's, that, make more, that make less sense than the day before, but I'm trusting you as a good God. I'm going to keep following you. The only way I know for, to ensure that you will persevere is to know that God is authoring your story. If God's authoring your story, you're good. Hebrews 12.1 Therefore, since we are surrounded by a great cloud of witnesses who've been beaten, who've Face danger in the city and in the country and from bandits and from storms and all kinds of stuff. Let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. The race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus who is the author and perfecter of our faith. 
Press on and hold on. You're strapped in. If God's the author of it, you just cling to that. You say, Lord, you've got to continue this story because I'm dangling right now. Help me out to, to keep on going. That's how I know you'll persevere, is if God's authoring your story. Finally, Philippians 1.6. Being confident. What a great word. Being confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. He goes elsewhere. He says, did you somehow start in the Spirit and now you're going to finish it in the faith? I mean, in, in the flesh? Like by your work somehow? paraphrase here, but don't be an idiot. That's not how it works. I mean, at the very start, you were, you were born supernaturally and by the Spirit. And so carry on that way. Please don't go and do this in the flesh. First thing is to make sure you're saved. If you're saved, instead of lamenting over the world, or worse yet, trying to right the world and running around and expending your energy that way, how about if you focus your effort on these two things? One is to marvel and be thankful at the patience and forbearance of God. Parents, grandparents in this room, in the next week, I can almost assure you it will happen next week. It will in my household. In the next week, especially dads feel this way, but moms, I know you do too. When you give an instruction to your child or your child willfully breaks a rule they absolutely know is true in your house and it's crystal clear. I want you for a moment, before you react, before you discipline, before you correct, all of which I think is good and necessary and needed, I want you to think to a perfect, holy, sovereign, all-knowing, heavenly Father that sees my actions, my motives, my omission sins, things I didn't do that I ought to do, my commission sins, sins I do that shouldn't be done. And I want you to just breathe a prayer of thanks to God for His forbearance. When someone is doing things that are disgusting and gross to God, offensive to you, don't throw this in their face, but just breathe a little sigh of praise to God that He doesn't just take them out right then and there. Burn them up like that judge him for the sin. And then secondly, recognize that this is an age of salvation. This is an age of forbearance. This is an age where God's patience is there so that none would perish. So rather than just breathe under your breath, God, thanks for not wiping them out later. You're going to do a killer job later, though. Have mercy on that brother, on that sister, on that neighbor. Care for them enough to risk your relationship. Care for them enough to go over to them and, and, and share with them. They're offending a holy God that's going to judge actions. John Fisher says this, now is the time to focus on the riches of God's kindness, tolerance, and patience and leave the judgment to another day and another judge. If this morning you've been guilty or convicted of investing time in judging other people, repent of it. As we sing this morning, repent of that. And see, God, I've been running around being your cop and your judge. And frankly, I'm lousy at it. And you're not with me on it. Because this is an age of salvation. This is an age of 
your patience and your forbearance so that none would perish. So God, help me to get the news out and get it straight to people so that they could turn from their sins. For it is the power of salvation to all who believe. Ben, I want to invite you up right now, and I want to just close by reading from an amazing chapter of the Bible, Romans 8, that ties this up well of not just to hang on as a climber, but to press on and finish the race. By the way, so that we're crystal clear on this. Um, so many passages we could point to. But in Romans 2, as Paul's talking about this, we just saying about, um, I stand on Christ's righteousness alone. When we're judged, we put on the Lord Jesus Christ like a robe. And we're, 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 able, to, we're able to exchange all of our junk and all of our wrong deeds and all of our offense and all of our violation of the law for His perfect, sinless life because of the sacrifice of Jesus Christ. And I've done you a disservice by saying, make sure you're saved. And I haven't told you the simple steps. Right here in the quietness of this room, as we begin to sing, you're able to humble yourself before the Lord right where you are, and you're able to just repent of your sins. You just acknowledge, I have been an affront to you. I have violated the Ten Commandments. And God, left to myself, I deserve wrath and anger for sin. And then you just trust, place your belief on the work of of Christ on the cross. Where He says, because of that, someone has to pay and Jesus died on the cross. So that we can stand spotless, pure, and holy before a good and perfect judge that will look at you on judgment day and say, not guilty. And then and only then do you begin to walk in ways to where you begin to amass the good works that when tested by fire will show forth as pure gold because God's doing it in and through you. Listen to this passage in, uh, in Romans 8. And we know that in all things, even the suffering, that God works for the good of those who love Him, who have been called according to His purpose. For those God foreknew, He also predestined to be conformed to the likeness of His Son, that He might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those He predestined, He also called. And those He called, He also justified. And those He justified, He also glorified. What then shall we say in response to this? If God is for us, who's against us? He who did not spare His own Son, but gave Him up for us, how will He not also, along with Him, graciously give us all things? Who will bring a charge against those whom God has chosen? It is God who justifies. Who is it that condemns? Christ Jesus, who died. More than that, who was raised to life, is at the right hand of God and is also interceding for us. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall trouble or hardship or persecution or famine or nakedness or danger or sword? 
As it is written, for your sake, we face death all day long. We are considered as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things, we are more than conquerors through him who loved us. Let's pray. God, you've not equipped us to just dangle on the side of a rock. You have marked out a path for us to walk in. And you are working for us. And as we just read, interceding for us, God. And Father, I pray that for those who right now are cuddling a secret sin, are married to evil, but try to date you on the side. That God, you would shock them awake to the reality that that leads to death. And a name filled out on a card, an aisle walked, or a simple prayer prayed, is not what saves us on Judgment Day. God, for those who are right now unknowingly amassing for themselves judgment. God, help us to come along and actually they do know it because you've given them a conscience. But help us to come along and shed light lovingly to give a name to what it is they're doing. To give a name to the unknown God that they are violating. And this law that's been written on our hearts, God. You've chosen your church to get the word out. That's our path that we're to press on in. And so God, we need you. For those in this room who need to hang on because of a storm, we know they'll hang on, God. Nurture them back to health so they can join the rest of us in pressing on. We love you this morning. In Jesus' name, amen.